0: I think it's a really interesting policy environment. I mean, it has massive implications for people's well-being. For many people, it's a value discussion.
1: I think because of that, people see it as less of an economic development
0: indicator than maybe it should do. These policies have been very effective and people really are asking for them. So maternal mortality is one of the reasons why there's these chunk of missing women you're just sort of accepting massive rates of death.
1: Hello and welcome back again to this episode of the Marginal Babble podcast. In today's episode, I sit down to talk with Professor Damian Clark at the University of Exeter to discuss abortion policy and how it affects economic indicators of a country's development. Professor Clark is an associate professor in the economics department of the University of Exeter and the University of Chile. is a research fellow at IZA and an affiliate of the Millennium Institute for Research in Market Imperfections and Public Policy. As ever, reference research material is included in the description down below, and without further ado, let's get into the episode. Enjoy.
0: The reproductive sort of healthcare environment, I'd say, over the last decades, if you sort of look, it's sort of generally been towards opening up. I think many people have in mind these particular emblematic cases, so I think, you know, recent trial, the recent uh, findings of the U.S. Supreme Court where they've restricted access, maybe people are like having have in mind their own particular um, country's reforms. So so you have sort of this idea that um, the I mean, one, there have been many reforms, so you'll often see um, in the press discussion of abortion reform, discussion both um, both in a progressive way and, and in a less progressive way. But if you look at the overall data, in general, reforms—they happen quite a lot. So, like, around two or three countries per year, on average, over the last thirty years, have made substantive changes in in access to abortion. Um, here, I mean, like, um, induced abortion, where people can can either request under certain grounds or 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 um, or more or less freely. Um, and those movements, in general, have been towards opening access. So, I guess of around sixty or so reforms, something like fifty national level reforms, have been to increase access. And here often you'll see like um, access is, 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 um, is limited to certain characteristics. So for example, it might be that abortion's not allowed in, in cases of rape, for example, but is allowed in, court in, in cases where it would save the mother's life. And so what you might see is some country sort of progressively steps up a little bit saying, okay, um, at the beginning, maybe abortion's completely um, not allowed, which, which actually is, is still the case in four, four or five countries abortion is not even allowed to save say the, the woman's life or in case of fetal inviability but then you'll generally see countries sort of increase progressively maybe first opening up cases where um, maybe there's fetal inviability or where the mother's um, at, at at grave risk of uh, for her health and then over time you often see that countries move towards um sort of abortion being available upon request with some certain um, limits or maybe during the first trimester or or up to week week 18 or or, or week 12 or, or um or or whatever. So in general there's a lot of reforms um, 60 odd over the past three decades. Um they're generally moving towards being more progressive when you look at national level reforms. But then there are obviously cases where um where the, the access is sort of being being decreased. So the US is one very particular case. Poland is another case where um where where access is decreased. Um, and then there's been a sort of a recent move in Latin America towards increasing access. I think the f- the funny thing, and maybe the last thing I'll say on this is um you'll often see that these reforms within a particular country, they sort of there's an ebb and a flow. So so maybe there's a, a progressive movement, um people have greater access to to um, to these sort kind of contraceptive options. Um and then later um access is 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 restricted. to this sort of this there's not a, a clear linear progression in, in these policies.
1: Yeah and that's the curious thing. So you talk about there how it's generally moving over time in the in the direction of being more progressive but obviously as you quite rightly mentioned things like roe v wade and and are quite popular examples of instances where it's been less progressive and it's been moved to a more conservative basis and just from reading obviously about the paper that you were involved with and some of the other work that you do it's there seems to be quite a high level of volatility mm-hmm. compared to other types of economic policy whether it be monetary or what have you I'm just kind of curious of what the reasons really are or what potentially you think the reasons are for, time, for it being such a volatile area of policy. So if, and of volatility obviously indicating that it goes progressive and then it goes more conservative and then it goes more progressive and more conservative even within the same country over maybe a 20, 30, 50 year time span.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting policy environment. I mean, it has massive implications for people's well-being. So I think there's like, you know, you want to be careful not to like, or I want to be careful not to like, academicize it too much. But it's I think it's like really interesting to see with with abortion, um or say there's other policies like say monetary policy, the one the one that you mentioned, where really it's sort of a technical discussion. So um, I don't know, we learn some new we learn some new fact. I don't know, the historical example of monetary policy, the Taylor rule and so then countries have this idea, oh well now the optimal thing is to do this. Whereas I think with abortion policy, people know the facts. Um I mean the paper we'll talk about later is um uh, sort of improvements in in women's health, but it's not generally such a fact based discussion. It's much more sort of a a belief based discussion, and I think this is also where it gets a little bit complicated to work on this in in an academic sense. I mean, you sort of you can know the costs, you can know the benefits, so you, you can know, you know, if if you um, if you open access to abortion, people are more able to time their births, maybe do things that are better for them, um, have improvements in health. But then there's there's um, for many people it's 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 a value discussion, and so if you have certain politicians who have, um, the right kind of leverage, um, then really rather than making a, a decision based on technical, um, technical discussions, they'll make the decision based more on value, um, um on, on sort of their values and, and their perception of their electorate's values. Um, and so I, I think this is one of the reasons why you just don't see a linear progression because, um, you may see all, all the sort of momentum. So, I mean, the U S is a very interesting case The the momentum for many, many years since Roe versus Wade was, um, to opening access even at times to, to you know provide public support for it, and then then suddenly there was sort of a, a number of institutional changes within the supreme court um, at sort of at state level um and at and, and at national level, and then suddenly sort of the, the i guess the weight of the values of the of the institutions changed in a way that then the policy changed and this i don't think you would ever see in i mean maybe a little bit in in, in tax policy and monetary policy but in abortion policy i think it's really it's particularly salient the, the sort of the philosophical discussion
1: yeah and i think i think personally i think that's kind of the i think a big part of it is as you quite rightly mentioned there's a level of morality or differences in morality and culture and things like that in this discussion compared to something like monetary policy or taxation policy which really kind of is just um i don't know very empirical mm-hmm. like you're trying to achieve with an objective and you're just you're trying to change things sure up and down left right however you want to but it, The goal is to get like a certain level of output or the most maximized level of output. Whereas I think with something like this, it is a very, there are, it's very politicized, whether if you're religious or not, or whether, you know, just whether the cultures you come from as well. So I think there's a kind of an instinctive morality component to it as well. And people differ on those values, of course. What I do think is quite interesting, though, is I think because of that, people see it as less of a economic development indicator than maybe it should do compared to something let's say like um health rates or like you know the average age of death Mm -hmm. and things like that could you talk a little bit about how abortion policy and reform and different policies factors into a country's economic development potentially and how it affects it
0: yeah and i think this is probably one of the like the roles of a researcher in this area it's like well if if these are value-based judgments at least we need to know sort of um, at least we need to have, have in mind what what the costs are and and mm-hmm. I think there needs to be some level of realism right so for example you might say well i'm I'm really against abortion and um, but then if 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 you know you have the, the information at hand that actually rates of abortion don't change that much when 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 you legalize things but um but the safety of the procedure changes i mean there's there's clandestine abortion there's this sort of public abortion, the safe abortion and and I think like having these um these details at hand can really help shape the narrative and and help people sort of line up maybe their own value judgments with um with actually the sort of the empirical facts which actually in this case i think are are quite useful so i guess the point that you raise on um on development we're quite lucky in economics to have evidence for many many years so i guess there's like there's been papers on on very high quality papers on abortion coming out for um i mean looking at, at context since even even the early um the early 1900s um, but really over the past 30 years there's been a big movement to, to sort of doing high quality policy analysis and abortion is really a, a, an important theme. I mean a, the the recent Nobel Prize winner um, Claudia Golden part of her agenda not abortion but uh, but the emergency the, sorry the contraceptive pill um, uh, so there's like a lot of sort of work on this and a, a lot of the things we've learned have really been quite informative um, beyond say pregnancy rates and and beyond um maybe even things like health you really see that abortion reform can do good things for people i mean obviously making the decision to to abort is not something people do lightly and they're doing it because i think they're thinking of um i mean it's very it's it's a hugely complicated um calculus but thinking about how can i balance um my desires to have children with also the knowledge that um. If I have children at a time that's not optimal, potentially I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to invest um, as much in the children as I'd like. Or you know, there's sort of career concerns that if you have an undesired pregnancy at at 20, maybe actually you really want to have children, but it's just it's really complicated for you in terms of I don't know. You just don't have the money, or or you're you're um, developing human capital. You're you're in school. You're in university. Um, and so I think one of the things we've seen um, from a number of contexts, there's like a, a really nice paper from. Um, from Norway that looks at legalization of, abor- of abortion in, in Oslo and not in the rest of the country. And they show that women many years later in, in Oslo have managed to, um, to gain more education as a result of, of the policy. Um, even they show impacts on, um, on, on children's well-being. So if, if people are more, um, more able to optimally time their births, they're more able to invest as much as they'd like in their children. So in some sense, you, you, sort of, you invest in your career, you get to a to a to a more stable point. Um, you give birth, and actually, in this particular Norwegian case, it's interesting because you don't see any any change on the total number of births. What you see is people are changing the timing of the birth. So instead of having birth say in their teens or in their early twenties, when it might be very complicated, maybe they don't have the um, the relationship they they wish. Um, they're probably not on a, on a stable footing in terms of um, their their home life, their income. Um, and so what you see is people don't. It, or abortion reform doesn't mean people having less births it just means they're having better times and consequently they're investing more in themselves and investing more in, the, in their children eventually and this really has an, an important impact on um, on development
1: yeah that's actually really curious i didn't wasn't aware of that the the idea that actually certain having certain abortion policies in place and freedom in that regard doesn't actually affect the total number of births it really just sort of spreads them out over time into like more optimal scenarios for the individuals. Because one thing I was actually going to bring up potentially as well was um, demographics, particularly in yeah. the Western world. Yeah. Um, because potentially what you would think is if you had had more free abortion policy, this is just from sort of a high level thinking about you know, an external perspective, if you hadn't done a lot of research in this regard, is that if you had more abortion policy, you would, that would potentially affect the fertility rate and potentially you would have a, a lower fertility rate in terms of births per woman mm-hmm. being you know, um, less. And something we are seeing now in the Western world is actually the birth rate is dropping below 2.1 quite significantly. And so we're actually below replacement rate, I think. Mm-hmm. Japan, the UK, Germany, all these replacement rates, I think, are in, in around sort of 1.7. So quite considerably below, and so they're only going to get lower. Yeah. And so what you might have, and what a lot of people are actually calling for is people have to have more kids um, so that we can balance out the population. Because what you end up seeing is a situation where you're very top-heavy in terms of age demographics and suddenly there isn't the the dependency ratio is often you don't have a lot of younger people being able to pay into the system the government system to actually pay for both the children in that system and also the elderly there's more dependence kind of what you're actually seeing in france not too long ago right they're looking to increase the retirement age because quite frankly there's you know people are living longer and you know, they need to increase the retirement age to have less to de- less dependence in that system but it's actually quite interesting to see that they actually wouldn't—it doesn't seem to affect that. Do you, do you have any reasons why that that could possibly be? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think the like an interesting thing about the abortion literature is that really every particular case is so sort of special, so ad hoc, um, that I don't think. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. I mean, Norway, I think, is, is a very interesting case where you don't see long-term impacts on on actual birth rates. Um, I guess a tricky thing in really nailing down these these questions correctly is you need to have abortion reform that happened a long time ago you need to follow it over over a long time period and you need to sort of have some way to to capture sort of affected cohorts and non-affected cohorts and see what happens at the end of their life because what you often see and i think what's easier to estimate is okay abortion or reform occurs in the years after reform there's less rates of teen pregnancy um, less rates of birth among younger women but does that actually translate into um into changes in completed fertility that's something that is it's much trickier to follow up and there's not a huge amount of studies doing that so the norway one is is i think one of the one of the leaders here there's a recent paper in spain where they 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 seem to find something similar no massive increase in no no massive change in in cohort size but i definitely wouldn't say this is an empirical fact because there are cases so for example i think one of the probably the strictest abortion abortion policy changes that i know of was romania in, in um in I think the 60s or 70s, um, the, the the sort of the dictator took over, and precisely for the reasons you say, there was. I mean, Romania was a case where there was many many abortions, um, and and the dictator said or was very concerned about demographics, and from from night to day, um, or from one day to the next, just made abortion um, completely illegal and really really very highly penalized. And what you see is that it had a massive impact on on fertility, and it did increase. Um, birth rates quite substantially so completed birth rates when you know when you follow it um, follow these these cohorts many years later and this is actually a a context that's also been studied quite well so in certain settings you don't see there's an impact on um on completed fertility i don't think that's necessarily a empirical fact that that goes across the board my feeling is today we'd probably be closer to the sort of this experience from from norway firstly because um it's easier these days to, to access abortion, whether it's um, legal or whether it's, it's illegal. There's a lot of sort of self, um, self-medicated abortion. Um, and I guess more generally, I, I, I guess you sort of want to separate the, sort of the, the issue of, of demographic decline from, from abortion. I think like we should certainly be concerned in some sense if, if, if countries are very rapidly falling in size for precisely the, the, the reason you mentioned. I mean, social security systems are going to... Um, are going to start to be really stressed. Um, pension systems are going to be very stressed. But I think if this is the concern, probably I would argue that sort of obliging people who don't want to give birth to give birth isn't the way to sort of you know bump up fertility from one point six to two point one. Probably you want to look at sort of the yep. deeper causes of why fertility over the past thirty years has declined from you know three per, per woman in many countries to to under two point one. And I think it's probably not because of contraceptives. It's probably because People just want less, less children. I mean, if it's very expensive to have children, if, if you have to spend a lot of money to to educate your children, if you're concerned about the the sort of the the sustainability of of, of our of our lifestyle, um, I mean, this I think is probably a much bigger determinant of falling um, of falling populations, rather than just this, this contraceptive access. And I think actually there are many policy policy decisions that could be better. Um, both in terms of encouraging, you know, certain, certain, I guess not sort of making people who don't want to have births pay the cost to, 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 yeah. to, increase fertility.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of moral questions when you start going into like, oh, right, we're going to shut down abortions just so that we have an increased birth rate. One, it doesn't actually seem that that actually occurs in every scenario. In every scenario. Yeah. It's very environmentally predicated and, the, you know, and the, the preconditions for that policy and how the policy is implemented. Um, but generally speaking, like you say, it seems to doesn't seem to affect it. And second, it's it's very morally ambiguous, quite frankly, to tell basically tell people you have to have children and what they have to, they want to do with their own body, quite frankly. Again, which comes back to the quite frankly the, the abortion debate as well. Um, I think in that in that regard, there's there's incentives and things that they can do. Obviously, put in place things like you know child support payments and things like that, because like you say, one of the big reasons why I think people are concerned not to have as um, many kids is quite frankly the cost of being able to maintain uh, their lifestyle um, without making themselves considerably poor quite frankly you know how things like housing and things like that is a, is a big concern so I think that's a better way to go down in terms of like child support payments and things like that um, with that in mind though I think what we're really good to talk about is the um, decriminalization of uh abortion reform particularly in regards to mexico that 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 you studied in your research i was hoping that you could just give me an outline of what happened in mexico in 2007 and what were the the preconditions to them decriminalizing um early term elective abortion
0: yeah i think mexico is like a really interesting case and in general um it sort of followed a similar path to a lot of countries in in latin america recently where it's um it really feels like it's sort of been reforms driven by um by individuals so like there's been a big sort of feminist movement in, in in latin america these um sort of these these like the green handkerchiefs that have these like the, sort of the green kerchief um which is the, the sort of the symbol for for abortion reform and you've seen this has had effects in 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 mexico In i mean uruguay uh, reformed uh, abortion chile partially argentina they've been like this this sort of particular case was really very i guess um bottom up that it was sort of a a social civil society was pushing for it there was lots of um ongs that were working quite i think quite tirelessly to increase access and eventually um in in the mexican case one state government um the 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 government the government of of the federal district um took up the cause i think like largely sort of at the at the behest of its um, of its citizens and um and reformed access to abortion in quite a quite an abrupt way so it was um i guess the same as the same as romania that one day it wasn't available the next day it was i mean of course it was available pre-reform it was just available in, in a way that people are doing it um, in a risky way using using drugs they buy um, you know maybe even off of whatsapp or or in in pharmacies without without appropriate sort of knowledge um so there was this this reform um which increased access to abortion up to um I'd have to confirm the the week, but let's uh, at, le- at least week twelve, um, if not later. Um, and it could be done on on any ground, so it wasn't like the, the woman needed to, for example, I don't know, um, demonstrate economic need or demonstrate um, that there was some sort of serious um, serious medical concerns. Um, and so this was a big a big abortion reform. It, it it increased access quite considerably, and it was the only state within within the country. There's 32 um, states in Mexico and the federal district. Um, initially was the only state to make this policy change. Over time, what we've seen is there's been sort of following effects from this. And now more recently, actually, it, it, there's there's some suggestion that the whole country might legalize abortion.
1: I see. So that's an important distinction to make. So it appears that it's just a localized region in Mexico that has decriminalized it, That's that's correct. Yeah,
0: in 2007, it was in, in the federal district. And actually what the federal district did, and, and it, often you'll see that um, when, when there's these sort of sub-national abortion reforms, there'll be limits. So you must... Um, you must live in a certain state, but the the federal district didn't put in these limits, so you could access abor- um, abortion in the federal district even if you were living in um, in other states of course if you're living you know in, in the far far north or, or the or the far south it's not um, there's going to be economic um barriers but yeah it was it was a, a locally isolated reform in the federal district, and what you saw is that it increased access a lot for residents of the federal district, and also it increased access for residents in, in, in nearby states.
1: Okay, interesting. So what was your research looking to examine in regards to this reform specifically? What was the aims and the objectives of the research? Yeah, I
0: mean, the, the, I think the question is quite simple, and it's, it's one you would think we would probably know a lot about, and it's just what happens to population health, particularly what happens to, to women's, I guess you could probably call it reproductive health. Um, when you legalize abortion, and we sort of started with this very particular i guess you could almost say like model in mind that often um, in the absence of of abortion um what you see is that people they still often they're they 're in situations where really they just can 't have another child or they can 't have a child, and so they do need to um access abortion somehow and so they do it in in a clandestine way um and that is far far riskier than if you go to a a clinic and um um, and, and, and are supported by by medical practitioners. So we were essentially just trying to trying to quantify what's the effect of abortion reform on women's health. Um, and incidentally, it's sort of a question that is, I think, highly policy relevant. So often you'll see um, claims by 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 policymakers when they want to change either increase access or reduce access. They'll say, "Well, it's it's better for women's health," or they'll even say, "Well, it's actually worse for women's health for for a while." I think during the Bush government, the White House, there was like a claim on the White House website that when, um, when when women access abortion, they have elevated rates of breast cancer years later, which turned out to be, uh, I mean it was debunked. It was it was a false claim. Um, but there's sort of this this argument that one of the reasons why we legalize or we restrict access to abortion is because of women's health. But then we were looking across the across the literature, and really, anything that was known was either from very small case studies or um, or sort of correlational evidence, and we really wanted to say, sort of take a big, a big crack at answering this question in a in a causal way, and the Mexico um, example was quite convenient because we had one state that, that that had the policy change and and 31 sort of I guess you could you could say control states.
1: Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? How you look back over the last sort of maybe if they call it 50 years, and things that we 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 used to pronounce and proclaim were for done and for reasons for health claims were obviously turned out to be the opposite i mean the, the biggest one i can think of when it comes to mind is smoking mm. people used to literally like say that you know it helps with the nerves and things like that and that you should they encourage smoking you know years and years ago but obviously now we know it's probably one of the worst things you could possibly do for your general long-term health right and it sounds though like it's the exact same with uh, some of this abortion policy as well which is again a little bit saddening unfortunately but Hopefully, we're moving in a direction where we have better information in regards to these things, and hopefully, that's an indication of that. So, yeah. what were the findings of the, of your research then? What did you find out, and what were the conclusions you were able to draw? Yeah, so
0: I mean, what we what we had, I mean, we, I guess we we asked. So, we we sort of first wanted to actually validate that this that this abortion reform had an impact on, say, rates of fertility. Um, and so, what we did was we collected a huge amount of micro data. So, in, in Mexico, for example, we could we could observe every single birth that occurred. Um, from I guess the early early two thousands to um, to after twenty ten, um, over thirty million births, we have something like seventeen thousand or eighteen thousand maternal deaths, which we get from from death registries, um, and we have high quality hospitalization records. Where in hospitalization records, um, you see the precise reason that the woman um, presented to hospital, and we see this for every single hospital in in the country. Um, I mean it's not it's not a selected sample. Um. It, it, it's the entire sort of universe of hospitalizations. The only sort of selection is that people may not, may not present to hospitals for certain, for certain things. And so what we we looked at, I mean, firstly, we just sort of wanted to see if the reform reduces fertility. And as we, we, we've we seen in many other cases, it, it does. I mean, in, in, in the short run, you see that fertility, particularly among young women declines by something like 7%. And this is something you've seen in, in, in the U S with Roe versus Wade with similar effects in, um, well, in, in, I guess in, in, in the various um, places that have been studied, Romania, in in, in Norway, in, in in Nepal, so we we estimate around a seven percent decline in fertility, which is substantial. Um, so it does suggest that the reform was doing something to help people control their fertility. And I think the more um, interesting finding and what was sort of novel um, people didn't know before is we, we when you look at hospital rates, you see for certain types of hospitalization, which I'll, I'll, I'll describe now. But from sort of one day to the next, they just they just fall off a cliff. Um, and this um, obviously you don't want to. When we look at hospitalizations, we don't want to look at all hospitalizations. I mean, we want to look at hospitalizations for a particular groups. So first, we say, all right, let's look at women of reproductive age. And then there are certain classes of hospitalization that aren't going to ret- re- going to respond to um, to abortion reform. So say you don't want to look at hospitalizations for car accidents, for example, or for um, maybe for 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 cardiac health or things like that, that that aren't going to respond to abortion reform so we look um, using these the sort of um universally um uh, approved codes the icd codes we look at reproductive health causes so this includes things like like hemorrhage um or a class known as abortion related m- morbidity and what we see is that these classes in particular they really decline by by around two-thirds and so basically what what we what we can quantify is when abortion becomes um, becomes legal, the rates of hemorrhage in the population fall massively, and this hemorrhage is essentially people—they um, go to the pharmacy, or, or or from I don't know, or from a friend, or from or from WhatsApp, or or, or however they, they they gain access to these drugs, which um, are abortifacients. So um, misoprostol is an, is an example. They're not designed necessarily to actually misoprostol, probably the most common drug, is designed to treat stomach ulcers, but it has the sort of off-label effect of inducing abortion. And so they buy these drugs. They don't have complete information. I mean, you can get information online, but you, you essentially self-medicate um, uh, and you, you conduct the abortion in, in potentially unsanitary conditions, in conditions without access to, to medical care. And then eventually you have to present to hospital if, if things sort of go really wrong, like if you start to bleed a lot. Um, and this in particular, we saw that when, when, when the policy occurred, rates of hemorrhage um, to people just presenting to hospitalization um, with with dangerous levels of blood loss, declined massively. Similarly, this class of um, this class of um of hospitalizations called abortion related mor- morbidity also declined. So basically, you're taking sort of abortion in a highly um, risky setting and moving it into a, a much more um, safe setting, and you see impact immediately in, in population health.
1: Yeah, so it really does seem that there's a significant impact just on the actual uh health and well-being of women in who are of those um, ages things like hemorrhaging as, as you said because because as you quite rightly mentioned it, a lot of these people i think from not like, the reading that i've done would go probably go about doing them anyway that go about having abortion hemorrhages and in, in then technically in, in an legal way but in a home way where they don't necessarily have the, the knowledge the expertise and things and the hygiene that, that you would have in a hospital environment i think
0: yeah yeah
1: so I guess the, the, the follow-up to that would be, was there anything else did you find in the research? Did you take it any further in terms of women's health or were there any other conclusions
0: as well? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the, the policy, and I guess this, this also goes back a bit to what we, talk, we talked about earlier, like what are the determinants of, of policymaking? One particularly interesting or, or particularly maybe even worrying thing about the Mexican case was um, this sort of reform was seen as like a very sort of, um, it, it was obviously politicized and it was seen as sort of like a left-leaning reform in um, in, in, in the central states and in, in, in the federal district. And so many other areas actually responded by increasing rates of, um, increasing punishments for abortion. So they sort of, there was like a, a backlash effect that they, um, even though abortion was already illegal, they now wrote it, um, they sort of defined life as occurring from conception. And so in theory, it opened up the the, the risk of being prosecuted for murder. If, if you either... Um, helped with procuring an abortion or if you or if you you aborted um and so we look at that what we found was that it actually didn't sort of i mean the, the initial feeling was perhaps this actually worsens women's health um what we found was that we didn't see any massive increases in in sort of in rates of hair he- or you no, it know it could it could have done anything so we, i guess we had like some 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 prior ideas but when we tested empirically we didn't see any major changes in rates of women women's health which suggests that perhaps People, if they really need to abort, they're going to do it regardless of the um, of the um, of of all, all, the, all these particular sort of policy shifts. weren't really discouraging people to um, fr- from aborting. Um, you didn't see we didn't see any impact on fertility. We didn't see any impact on um, on on rates of um, morbidity. Um, we also didn't see any any impacts on on rates of maternal death. Um, so this was one of the, I guess, the, the the other strands we looked at the sort of the the backlash policy effect, um, mm-hmm. and then another thing we looked at, and this came in quite quite late in, in in the paper. We sort of had the initial paper, and then um, um, there was sort of this this fallen agenda, or right? what happens to people's mental health? And we see some evidence suggestive that um rates of um, rates of postpartum de- depression decline um, slightly. I mean, all of this is sort of like a little bit less statistical power, so um. I think they're, they're sort of less clear findings than the um, than the extremely clear findings um, which you see with with reproductive health, but there, there looks to be a, a small decli- decline in in rates of depression um, in in DF in the federal district yeah. after reform.
1: Uh, has there been any counter legislation in in regards to Mexico? Has there because obviously two thousand seven was a while ago? Has, um, has there been any specific counter legislation that's come in that's potentially potentially affected these kind of rates? Um, if it's not in Mexico, can you think of any counter legislation that's had sort of a difference of impact across the world? Yeah,
0: I mean, well, there was so there was these like states. There was I guess something like eight states in in the year after the policy which which adjusted their penal code. So that's this like the sort of um, I guess they call it the backlash effect. Interestingly, mm-hmm. um, around ten years later, a number of states sort of followed DF. I mean, it took a long time, but but a number of states, um, I might be forgetting, maybe that'll go, but various various other states. Um, legalized abortion following a very similar sort of policy recommendation as, as Mexico, as far as DF, the federal district. Um, and then we also saw, um, I mean, now recent discussions, and I think part of this is sort of the evidence that these, that these policies have been very effective and, um, and people really are, are, are asking for them, that in the entire country now there's... Um, there's, there's um, a potential that it, that abortion might soon be legalized nationwide. I think it's like subject to to a couple of votes in um, 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 in sort of the uh, the, the parliament. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this locally there's been this um, this reform. In general, you sort of often see that there's cluster, clustering clustering of, of abortion policy changes. So I mean the the Latin American case. It's it's hard to say whether this is sort of like snowballing effects within countries or whether they're things that sort of developed alongside. So I mean the feminist movement in Latin America has been very important over the last um over the last ten, fifteen years in all sorts of dimensions. But one of the key things has been um has been um demanding uh, abortion access and then so in close progression there was there was Mexico. I mean Uruguay was I think a little bit before Mexico um but when we were, when we were studying Mexico, I think it was Cuba uruguay and mexico were the only countries in latin america which 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 had abortion available um sort of broadly and then since then argentina has now has now legalized abortion um eh, chile sort of making movements in that direction So, so there have been various other policy responses which it's hard to know if they're sort of responses to mexico or or to you know to uruguay to leaders within within the the continent or the things that would have developed independently but you do often see that these sort of these policies cluster in, in, in regions in a way that makes you think perhaps there's spillovers.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So it seems as though from, for the most part, there does seem to be a trend, in, particularly in, in Latin America, that it is moving generally to be more liberal in terms of abortion reform due to potentially the results that have been found in Mexico, but also other places potentially across the globe as well. Um, hmm. Has there been any significant impact on other economic development indicators because what I would like to understand potentially a little bit more is how uh, like m- maternal mortality rates could actually affect the wider economy at large does it is it, is it affecting the education rates of um, I think you mentioned it affected the education it allowed uh, mothers to attain a higher level of education which I'm, I'm presuming then allowed them to be more productive in terms of their economic output which could potentially have an impact for things like GDP or GDP per capita potentially. Um, I would also imagine if um, maternal mortality is higher there would be less rates of um, potential things like um, abuse and things of like that within a household because you have a two-parent household potentially there's a there's a range of factors that I think could tail off from this could you talk a li- little bit just about what how maternal mortality um, affects other economic indicators and just the prosper prosperity of a a developed nation
0: yeah so i think there's like i guess there's, there's almost like two questions here is like one how does um how does the the how does abortion um, reform affect maternal mortality and then what the sort of mm-hmm. what the um, poor rates of of health or this particular dimension of health so what, what do what do um uh, women dying in childbirth do to um to a country and to affected people um so i think like on the maybe it's, it's useful to like focus on the the, the maternal mortality question in particular. Um, I mean, my feeling is that this is sort of, it's like a, a policy embarrassment at, at the international level. If you look at rates of maternal mortality, even, I mean, there's good data running up to 2020 at the moment. Um, so, say in, I don't know, some place like Norway, I think the lifetime risk of dying in, in childbirth is something like one in 40,000 people. So, it's like one death per 100,000 live births, where if you compare it to a country like um, Chad, which is, I think, one of the worst, is 1 in 15. So you, you have a 1 in 15 risk of dying during your life in, in childbirth, which is just, um, I mean, independent of, uh, um, of, of rates of economic growth, this is just sort of, an, I think, a, a policy embarrassment. And it's, it's something that, yeah. that since the Millennium Development Goals, it's been a real goal that, that, that we've sort of professed, all right, we need to, we need to, um, we need to make maternal mortality decline. Um, it has since the 1990s to, to, to 2010. It declined, but it wasn't even close to meeting the the, the Millennium Development Goals. Um, now the Sustainable Development Goals, which is sort of the follow-on of the the MDGs, has um, a sort of planned a similar decline up to 2030, when the initial decline wasn't wasn't met. So there's sort of some question of of how we're going to do it. Um, and um, I think we know how. We, like we know we know what's what's necessary. It's just sort of putting it in practices. Um, is is complicated um and obviously theres so there's there's i mean there's instrumental reasons why one would care about um or, i mean there's there's reasons why independent of, of their their impact on development why we would want to save people's lives um but then if you even just just look at say for um for development um there are a number of sort of older papers looking at um at how maternal mortality rates increase even say Parents' investments in their children. So, if um, this I think there's a paper from Indonesia and um, 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 looking at the data in the 70s or, or the 60s, that if parents think their children aren't going to survive to maturity, they have less of an incentive in in investing in in their, in their female children, right? And, and sort of maternal mortality. There's this idea, um, even from from Amartya Sen, um, a Nobel Prize in economics, that in lots of countries there are these missing women, and so maternal mortality is one of the reasons why there's these why well, there's this like, this chunk of missing women you're just sort of accepting massive rates of uh, of death in certain productive sectors of um of the economy i mean obviously um, independent of that these are these are every person is 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 important and you want to save save all these people um but if you're losing massive areas of your population this has huge fallen impacts yeah to the to the economy so um these people aren't going to participate in in the labor market but think of the sort of the impacts of losing a mother to a child's development this is the worst thing i think that can that can happen happen to a child and um, interrupts their entire formation so these are things that sort of generate scars that countries are going to be dealing with not just in the year the event occurs but really 2030 i mean there's intergenerational impacts of these things right if, if, if children aren't um aren't getting the investments they need they're gonna be less likely to invest in their in their own children so i think any policy that um that can bring about declines in maternal mortality just has a huge impact a huge impact on well-being um and a huge impact on on measurable um, measurable sort of um variables to capture economic development both today and in a dynamic sense going forward
1: no I, i think it's a really really important metric in terms of uh, development amongst the nation is maternal mortality and even um, education among females and mothers I think is actually really really important as well because they're funded in most environments they're the, the individuals that are most um, connected with the children in terms of raising them and it has a very long-term impact if you if you take away the mother from that example or have a less educated mother in that example about different things about the world whether that be health hygiene um, development education it really I think it's a very very important indicator probably one that doesn't get as much attention as it probably should I think in regards to economic development but yeah I think it's really sort of what quite key so following up from this research then what would you like to see or what research would you like to see conducted in the future to follow up on the findings of this research to sort of maximize its output
0: yeah I mean I think there's sort of like it's it's an area of active of active work. I mean, we I guess we know we're lucky to know a fair bit about abortion reform, but there's lots of things that we I think we don't yet know. One is sort of the, the number of case studies we have is relatively limited. So one could one mm. could wish to know what happens in, in other in other settings. I mean, very recently a, a right, paper yeah. came out looking at what happened with women's health in the United States around Roe v. Wade, and they found that actually I guess similar to what we found in Mexico. There were declines in maternal mortality um particularly among um among african American women um less so among among white women so I think there's sort of these um, broadening the findings and also working out sort of distributional impacts of these things like are there certain groups which are which are particularly um sort of at risk when when abortion's not available um and there's other things another recent study I, I saw which i guess isn't work that needs to be done the work that's been done is some um some people looking at what this abortion reform did on rates of domestic violence. And this was something that I think before we didn't really know that, that it, or these authors found that um, when abortion was legalized, rates of domestic violence fell. So it suggested actually like um, contraceptives or, or, or particularly abortion is an input into, into domestic violence and, and sort of understanding the determinants of domestic violence is another um, really important literature um i guess the idea is people when when they have access to abortion they have more they have more bargaining power they can they can make better um, better matches with, with with couples um so i think there's there's various things that have come out since our work that have been really interesting um i think there's lots more that that should be done so one one like very um clean thing that we've taken up is just what's happened to these other states that have also um um also legalized abortion within mexico do you see do you see similar effects um um like how sort of generalizable is is this finding within Mexico but also also outside of the country. Another I think really interesting thing to understand and something that I think is actually quite fundamental to the way we understand abortion is how have the impacts of abortion reform changed over time. So if say you look at what were the impacts of um abortion legalization on fertility in the 70s and in the 60s um, with say like Roe Roe versus Wade, they were probably very big. Um, because there was really the sort of the external options were, were much more limited. You, you had to either go to clandestine Clinic or you had to it sort of require a lot of information It required potentially quite risky procedures. Whereas today, um, I think the sort of outside option to abortion is self-medicated abortion. And so you, you see um, with the US reforms recently, there's really just a, a very widespread use of, um, of medicated self-medicated abortion when abortion's not provided. So potentially the impacts on fertility are going to be much less because either you provide it safely and people access it, or people go online and realize okay, there's you know there's even organisations which send which send sort of pills in, in, in the mail to people, um, so people can still abort. You're just sort of shifting abortion from 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 a highly um, a highly standardised and safe setting to something which is much more sort of ad hoc and, and, and potentially risky. So what's the impact one of I guess abortion when? Um, when you have these outside options, and I think this is this is just growing more and more. Sort of understanding how people how people use outside options, um, and um, and understanding whether these sort of these historical findings of declines in fertility um, still still persist, or if really all we're seeing are just an imposition of costs with no real with no real, real change on any of the of the variables people, I guess the the proponents of these policies seek to change.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, particularly on that. Um... Health point I would say is that I think sometimes what's not necessarily taken into consideration really is the way the impact of this policy is, or more generally speaking. And and so, if fundamentally, if you make it much more harder to get access to abortion rights, you're not just going to be decreasing the abortion rate necessarily. I imagine it would decrease it to some extent. And again, that depends on the environment, Mm -hmm. the culture, and things of that nature. But as we've, as you said, you've seen in the research in many environments and cultures it doesn't necessarily decrease it by all that much and if, and all you're doing is really shifting it from one per, place to another you're just shifting it from your responsibility potentially as a government agency to some something else maybe the health organization or something else um and so i think that really does have to be considered you're not you're not removing the problem you're just kind of shifting it to a different location
0: yeah and actually i think this is maybe one of the ways where like economic research can really help sort of to try and untangle a uh, both a policy and sort of a values issue, because I think one complicated thing here is like really you can't I think question individual values. So there's people who don't who don't believe that um, for, for all sorts of reasons that that, um, that abortion is is something that that should be provided. Um, but then really, if, if this is sort of a, a philosophical point, and and people say, all right, well now we've made this policy, I feel satisfied that. We're saying it's not provided, but actually what that's doing is it's not really changing access. So it's still people are still using abortion. But what you're really doing is you get this sort of this this warm glow for, for doing the policy that, that sort of lines up with your beliefs. It doesn't change anything and it makes other people's lives worse. Then I guess you have to sort of um, ask yourself whether this is whether what you really care about is, I guess, more the, the sort of the value per se or, or what sort of happens in, in, in practice.
1: Yeah, and this is almost like a bit of a strange way to put it, but and I'm not even sure if I'm completely educated when I'm even talking about this. But when we talk about something like this, you know, and you have it, it's really sort of values and morals are orientated. It's really hard to sort of really sort of pinpoint like what is the correct necessary moral value on this. Some people who are more pro-life will say, oh, "No, it's moral," and culturally, we need to make sure that we don't have any of this. But then, obviously. People that have, want to have individual rights and things like that, and the ability to have autonomy over their own bodies, you know, will say something different. And I think it's actually sometimes quite hard to make governmental and economic policy based on those things. The thing that you can do much easier, though, is look at the results and data on things like health. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the economic sort of comes into this. Pragmatically, what is the approach that's going to increase the health of, of our country, our nation, and things like that? And so sometimes I think it's almost you. And this may seem maybe apathetic to maybe some causes, and I'm not saying it's the right thing to do in every situ- situation to take morals and values potentially out of it. But just that looking at the actual tangible implications on society, development and things like that, it may seem apath- apathetic or amoral potentially, but what it does allow you to do is take a pragmatic approach to actually hopefully better the citizens of your country, which at the end of the day, that is what governmental policy is meant to do, right? Um, from a, at least from a pragmatic standpoint
0: yeah and I, I absolutely think I think I mean obviously researchers have sort of personal beliefs but I think in in research the research I mean a paper doesn't have any have any any belief any any moral belief yeah. and I think really what what one tries to um to sort of provide with research is um, hard evidence I mean, I don't. I don't think a, a research paper can ever say this is the correct moral, or, or at least on economics. I mean, in philosophy, perhaps. Um, but we're not. We're not trying to impose certain certain values. And I don't think it would be correct for a research paper to start with with the the idea that um, this value is correct when certain people have other values. I mean, people have different values, and I think a, a, a massively important area, or, or a massively important sort of Idea in economics is that we respect heterogeneity—that people have heterogeneous preferences—and this is sort of built into our sort of our like the fund the fundamentals of our of our of our, I guess you could you could call it our, our social science. So I don't think a, pol- a, a research paper can say anything about what the correct values are. I mean, it's, it's it's not designed for that. But what it can do is say, all right, let's be pragmatic about this, and let's think whether our values aim, or, or the sort of the policies that we, we we put in place. Aim, are actually affecting the things that, that 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 our value suggests we should affect, or if they're 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 imposing costs that are potentially not not initially desired.
1: Yeah, exactly. Research needs to be objective as opposed to subjective, right? And realistically you can only sort of draw conclusions, hopefully, on objective data. Yeah. yeah so thank you very much for joining me and being willing to talk to me today it's been a really interesting discussion in regards to how this and that with economic policy and the different indicators for like economic development and things like that are there any things or pieces of research you would like to point people to if they've made it to this point in the uh the recording um so bits of work that you're working that you would like to draw some attention to perhaps i
0: mean i think if people are sort of interested in this in this area there's um there's really like a lot of really nice research they can they can refer to, I think there's, um, I mean, there are particular researchers who sort of dedicate their their career to these particular questions, um, or, or at least a big part of their career. So, I mean, there's a, a researcher, Caitlin Knowles, um, who has a number of, of hugely um, influential and really extremely well-done papers looking at um, the the passage of abortion in, in the United States. Um, I think this would be like a really nice, um, nice starting place if, if one's interested in thinking sort of... Um, how what what a, a really good um, social sciences paper that sort of tries to to un- unpick all these quite thorny empirical questions looks like. Um, I incidentally, I've also been working on sort of a review of of what economics um, can can deliver in, in terms of the knowledge on abortion policy, and I have this sort of this um, handbook chapter, which is also potentially sort of a um, hopefully a, a reasonably broad and not too heavy introduction to to the um, so I think these, these sort of th- things are quite useful. Um, and hopefully this could be like a jumping off um, a point into all the sort of the great research that's out there on, on, on abortion from a range of scholars looking at, you know, the US case, recent US case, um, international, there's really a lot of really great, great work out there.
1: No, absolutely. I think it'd be, they're great. It's a, it's a great stepping off point for people to go and do some sort of further detail and digging into the literature. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed that. And uh, until the next time, Uh, We'll see you soon.
0: Thanks very much, Max.
1: Thank you for watching this episode of the Marginal Bubble podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider liking and subscribing down below and commenting any future topics you would like to see discussed. But until then, see you soon.